Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. I wonder what Nicole Hannah-Jones is doing right now. Probably working on something fairly important. One of the many, many projects that offshoot around 1619, maybe another podcast, one of the books. Maybe there's some movie studio she's talking to. She's not talking to the folks at UNC right now because they denied her tenure because the people who care deeply about cancel culture were too offended by her ideas around critical race theory and the slaveocracy that is America to have her get tenure. I found it quite funny that they said her credentials were not enough even though she has a master's degree from UNC. I also are we ignoring the fact that she's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and a <laughs> like, MacArthur I, genius and a, like, grant MacArthur recipient. Genius. I, I mean her her list of accomplishments it should be embarrassing yeah. to the board of trustees. Yeah. And what makes me think is one I want to see I, I need to actually look this up. I want to see their faces. I want to know what the board of trustees looks like. Imagine Tucker UNC. Carlson times six. And then how old are they? Because I'm going to assume that they're probably largely over the age of 60. I'm going to assume that they're white men largely. Um, not as if it would be better if it was a, you know, a bench of Karens. Um, but <laughs> like at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, what this definitively shows us is just how fearful mm-hmm. white Americans are of the truth. That's exactly like the they, word I it, would use. They are so, I mean, the fear that they are embodying with their illegitimate pushback to American history. Like Mitch McConnell wanted to come out and say, well, I believe that 1776 is the most important year. And I'm like, Nobody asked you, motherfucker. Like, like literally no one asked you what you thought was most important. And again, the idea that you think that history, in order to be important, needs to be framed 
through the lens of only white men right. and anything outside of the gaze of white maleness is somehow inappropriate or illegitimate. And the fact that they believe that teaching the truth about American slavery and the slaveocracy from which our capitalism was birthed and how we became a world superpower would make white kids hate themselves tells you everything you fucking need to know. If I were them, if I were the New York Times, I pretty much would use all of the statements that have been said from these old mealy mouth fucking white men as like my promos. Mm. Like, learn more about the 1619 Project it'll make white kids hate themselves. (laughs) Like, learn more about the 1619 Project. Why should Black people be allowed to speak? I mean, critical race theory has become this boogeyman that white people are afraid of, and they're not even sure what it is. I mean, like, I think if we asked people who are against it to just define it, they would crumble into ash because they don't really know what it is to be able to say, no, I'm against it. I, 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 I can't even begin to imagine what they think it is. But just the notion of accepting that there is an inherent racism in America, this is not a revolutionary concept. To imagine that America has been deeply shaped by the institution of slavery. This is not a revolutionary concept. We would not have even had enough money to afford the war against England if we had not had slavery. We would not have become a world power if we had not been able to derive wealth from hundreds of millions of hours of free labor from certain individuals. So. why these notions are so threatened? Because they're like, well, I didn't own any slaves. Well, then why are you so threatened by the notion that slavery has had a huge and continuing impact on America? If you didn't own slaves, then what is the problem with admitting that slavery has had a huge impact on America? Right? If you're not racist, what is the problem with admitting that racism has a massive impact on America? Well, because... White people's favorite go-to is the fact that my family didn't own slaves. And that is impossible for every white person in America to say, (laughs) right? But they all fucking Somebody had to have owned slaves. Yeah, it's like, no, it was just Thomas Jefferson and I don't descend from him. So that was it. But before you even get there, just because you didn't own slaves doesn't mean you did not benefit benefit from it, be it your family comes from the insurance company or Correct. somebody who that, 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 that backed it, that bonded it or the company that sold cotton. You didn't, we didn't own the actual slaves, but we helped move the cotton, which was the number one crop on the globe at that time. If you benefited from the prosperity of America, then, then you benefited from slavery. So my one, you know, the best conversations that I have sometimes are with some of my white friends that talk to me about like, I do. How um, interesting. That What's that like? I know. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's hard. Um, but uh, I have, I talk to them about, you know, some of their family businesses and, um, and things. And they'll, they'll tell me about like, oh, well, when my grandfather came here or my great grandfather came here, 
you know, he had nothing and was able to blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. It's the ellipses, uh, right? Like uh, it's the, the be able to dot, dot, dot. And I have found in the last 10 years that when I hear somebody say like about all of the benefits that they've had because their family worked really hard, I go into these diatribes about how they are benefited from racism. And I said, you've been fed this lie that black people are lazy, that we need everything handed to us. And I said, if your grandfather or great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather hadn't have been white and hadn't have been male, they wouldn't have gotten the fucking bank loan that they needed in order to get the land, in order to build the house, in order to build the business and go on and on and on and be able to have something to pass down to you. So then when we arrive in the 21st century and we're looking at the racial wealth gap in America and we're saying, oh, that must be because black people don't fucking work. Well, we weren't able to build off of shit. Right. Right. We wanted 40 acres and a mule and your fucking great great grandfather couldn't have fucking given us that. Right. To be able to build off of that. So I'm like, your whole life has been about building off of the foundation that was given to you based on legislation that was approved by white men for white men to build more white wealth. When we talk about racism, folks always want to talk about things that individuals say to each other. And because I have black friends, that means I'm not racist. You may not have racial hatred within you, but you are benefiting from generations of white privilege and white supremacy. Even if you are a loving person who loves Danielle and dances to Beyonce, right? And you voted for Barack Obama, but your grandparents got a loan from the FHA in the 50s to buy a home. Black people Mm -hmm. and brown people were not able to get those loans. Grandpappy wasn't racist, but he benefited from white privilege and white supremacy that he got the loan, he bought the home. Yeah, he worked hard. I don't take that away from him, but he had an opportunity to go through this door to create home ownership, which created wealth in that family that he was able to pass down to your parents and to your generation. We did not have those. Those FHA government loans were not Mm -hmm. available to black and brown people. We were not lazy. The government was not giving us, what would be the word? A handout, right? Right. They weren't, they <laughs> weren't, we, weren't, we weren't able to get white welfare. Right. right. We weren't able to access the GI Bill that then would allow for you to say that I'm entering into the military as a, as a, as a mechanism out of poverty. And when I return, I'm able to get an education. I'm able to get a home because that is how my government has provided for me. But what white people refuse to want to have a conversation about a critical conversation about is how their whiteness allowed for the building of these things. Right. And And so we get stuck in these. It's not necessary to be hateful to benefit from white privilege. And you know what several people who are old enough to be my grandfather have said, and the first several times I heard it, I did not believe it and I discounted it. But like, like, like Jesse Jackson level, I think David Dinkins said this to me and a couple other people like his age, that in World War II, the black enlisted men were treated worse than the Nazi prisoners of war. 
And I'm like, that, that, I swear I've heard this at least three or four separate times from men of that generation who were enlisted men. And I, I tell you, the first couple of times, I was like, that can't be. That's impossible. That's impossible. And they keep telling me that. It's not, there's all sorts of ways that racism has affected us and thus mm-hmm. affected the next generation and given white people an advantage. And you don't need to be in the clan. You don't need to be hateful to have these advantages. And and now and the notion that we cannot tell each other this reality. We cannot teach these stories. We cannot look at the world through this lens. Because that's what critical race theory is. It is a lens. It is a way of looking at the world. Um, it is to deny reality. So now we're going to get to 2021. And we're going to deny reality. We're going to pretend that this did not happen. This is modern era digital book burning, mm. right? This is this is this is where we have come to, mm. and we are at a space where in 2021, in the 21st century, that we are burning books, right? We are trying to delegitimize facts and truth. Like, so just think for a second that. Republicans want those six Dr. Seuss novels, mm, right? Mm. That that perpetuate racism and stereotypes. Oh they want those on the bookshelves, but they want to remove the 1619 project. Wow. Just walk with me. Walk, wow. walk, walk in between wow. that fuckery. Wow, wow. Mr. Potato Head must be Mr. Potato Head, but critical race theory, we can't have that. <laughs> no. Because in order to in order to uphold white supremacy, you need to have a race of white folks that ask no questions. Mm. They just take the benefits. But if they start to ask questions, right, about how they got here, how they got there, why they have these things and these privileges, then the entirety of the structure begins to crumble. And that's why there is so much pushback, because. If you teach the truth, then you're going to wake up a bunch of kids, young people, and they're going to be like, well, isn't that wrong? Because that's what young people know. You have kids. You teach them right and wrong from when they were little kids. They'll say, Dad, you shouldn't litter when you're throwing down a thing because they're taught that littering is bad. Right. But then we reprogram them. Right. And that's the point of what Republicans are doing right now. With our education system, it is about reprogramming into staying plugged into the matrix of white supremacy. Because if you fucking because if you unplug, then you're going to ask questions and the questions are going to bring down the system that too many people have been able to benefit and profit on. Well, part of the questions and part of the system is that the success of whiteness relies upon the standing on top of black people the theft of wealth from black people, not just in slavery, but also Mm -hmm. in subsequent generations, right? Like it's not just that black people were oppressed, white people benefit from the oppression over and over. And that compounds over generations. Um, Yeah. They're really, really scared of this notion. And it's quite funny to see them running scared from it. You know, I, I will say this, that um, earlier this week, 
uh, Mark Lamont Hill, who is hosting a primetime show on the Black News Channel, had one of the one of the opponents of critical race theory on his show. And the guy's name is Christopher Rico. And he's saying, you know, we just you know, we're all the same. Right. And so we don't need to identify the differences in our race and blah, blah, blah. Mark Lamont Hill then turns around to him and says, what is it that you're proud about in terms of whiteness? Because you're saying that what is negative, like that the 1619 Project is teaching negativity about whiteness. So the assumption then would be that there is something positive. So what are you proud of? Because if you were to ask me, he goes on, about what I'm proud of to be Black, I will talk about culture. I will talk about food. I will talk about heroes. I will talk about music. I will talk about melon. I will talk about all of these things. What say you? There was dead air. <laughs> dead motherfucking air. He re-asked the... And again, this was not a... You got, it was, it was, well, it was well, elegant. Well, it was about, brilliant. Uh, what about Nothing. Opera? Dead air. Or, or dead air. What is that? What's that dancing they do where you don't move the top of your body? You'd be proud of river dancing or whatever. The the Irish dancing. Yeah, shouldn't you? People can't see me flicking my hands, (laughs) but that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Is it this? We could be proud of that. Oh wait, no. I I mean, that's Irish. It's about, but you can't. You that's that was the thing. But the fact that that man, who is the biggest opponent of critical race theory, when asked. Why are you proud to be white? Don't talk to me about being Italian or Greek or, or de- no, 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 or German. And then Mark, his response was, this is why we need critical race theory, because you don't even understand what it is that you were against. You don't even understand the system that has been built up around Look, you. This is the problem. You know, th- because there is no such thing as white culture as equivalent right. to black culture. There is no coalescing element uh there is american culture there is new england culture there is southern culture there is suburban culture right where we go to malls and we have station wagons but there's not white culture right there is there is german american italian american irish american french american etc but there's not white culture that is as equivalent to what we know of as black culture right that it does not exist so if they are so when they talk about white pride and we have to say well what does that mean what are you proud of everything you would name would have to come from something else right i mean even as long as we've been in america they have not coalesced around a singular there there is there are things that we do in new england that only new englanders do that we love right that Southerners do. That's great. I have no problem with that. But that is New England culture. That is Southern culture. That is California culture. That is not white culture. It's not a thing. It doesn't no, exist. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. And the fact that this man got on television and got and was embarrassed because he should have been right. Like he should have been embarrassed because when asked a very basic question about the thing that you are against, it, it wasn't a, a you got your question. Right. Like, why don't you want you like. He said, and you know, when, when they go to the, we are all the same piece, it's like, motherfucker, we are clearly not right. Mm -hmm. Because 
you will get pulled over and you are not afraid for your life. You will have your resume looked at and nobody's going to second guess your fucking name. Like you are able to walk through this life. And the assumption here is that you can tell us all who look different that race doesn't matter while still benefiting from it. It is the it is the epic gaslight of centuries that they do. And when faced with the mirror that says, look at your history, look what you have done, look what you have upheld and benefit from. They're like, no, 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 no. It's it, we got to ban it. We got to ban it. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. This on, are we in the, the, yeah, this is the near the anniversary of the death of George Floyd about a year ago. And, you know, can we say the world has changed? I don't think so. Can we say that another George Floyd 
situation couldn't happen tomorrow? No. Well, no, let's could happen put tomorrow. this into let's put this into context. Since the 12 months since George Floyd was publicly uh executed lynched. by lynched, um there have been 426 plus murders by police of black and brown people at least at, at least. least because if not for the iphone george floyd would have been classified as he just happened to die in custody let's keep it moving well do you remember the police report right? right and you tweeted earlier this week and said you know if not for a 17 year old brave black girl who decided to use her phone to cop watch, right? We wouldn't even know George Floyd's name. So those 420 plus people would all be hashtags if there was a Darnella or someone that had been there. But because there was not, they just go off into obscurity and we pretend outside of their own family their own community, that it didn't happen. And we're still struggling right now to pass police reform with removing of qualified immunity to be able to persecute the very people that are committing all of the fucking crimes. And then they want to tell us this week that crime is up in all of the cities. And is that because we're defunding the police? We haven't defunded any police. We haven't defunded the police. The reason and they also why don't stop crime. The, re- the police do not stop crime. Less than 5% of what they do is intervening in ongoing violent crime. It's very rare for cops to stop an ongoing violent crime. Um, the reason why violent crime is up year over year is because last year we were all in our homes. Mm-hmm. Now yep. 50% of us are vaccinated. The unvaccinated are also coming out. So, of course. You know, and I think also last year there was still like a store of money that some people had. Like the economy came to a crashing halt in March, but people were not broke, broke by May. Now, like people have been like broke for a while. They're like, yo, I I will do anything for today. I will rob a motherfucker. But I also, you know, the violent crime statistics come to us from the police and they are highly manipulated and manipulatable Mm -hmm. and when we accept the word of the police without critique we are giving them far too much power and we know that they lie all the time it is important to remember that they produce the crime statistics in a way that is meant to make themselves look uh uh necessary Right. Mm. You know, there was there was some report, I believe it was late last year when people were talking about defund that suddenly they said homicides are up suddenly. And I was like, really? They are? I don't believe you. And then suddenly (laughs) that narrative just went away. We have to look at everything the police say with a grain of salt. And this notion that crime is suddenly up, I would move, because we have not defunded anything, 
that Correct. that is actually an argument that would suggest that the police are not valuable and not necessary because crime is going up and we have the police. Maybe right. we should try and something else entirely. Exactly. And so here's the thing, but it is, I just don't understand. I don't understand the desire all the time of mainstream media to just fucking turn around and take whatever police say and Not run right. with it. Right. I saw, I don't Not know right. how many fucking segments this past week, last week, as we're heading into the remembrance of George Floyd's murder, where people are like, well, with this conversation with defund, crime is. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And I'm like, motherfucker, crime is up because millions of motherfuckers lost their jobs right. during COVID-19. Right. right? Crime is up because ain't nobody can work. Right. So, but, like, why don't you look at the other way? Like, and there is no neighborhood. And this is this is one of the things that I, I talk to ex-cops and, you know, and folks, and they're just like. When you think of public safety, when you think of safe neighborhoods, are they the ones with the most police on the street and those like fucking bright lights at the subways that they like to put up? Or is it the tree lined, you know, uh, uh, suburban area where I never see a fucking cop? Mm, because maybe the police are criminogenic. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Come on with your SAT word. <laughs> the police are part of the problem, y'all. The police the are police criminogenic. are the actual problem. How many times in the past year since George Floyd's murder have we heard reports about lies in police reports? How okay. about the video that was just released that was hid by the police, by the lawyers? Let me be honest. I didn't watch it. I am filled up with videos of trauma mm -hmm. of black mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And I, fair. I find myself trying to avoid watching it until there's a critical mass, like on social media. Mm -hmm. 
and mm-hmm. certain people or a number of people are saying, yo, you got to watch this. Da, da, da. And then I'll be like, okay, fine. But like, you know, the, you know, the, the Sean King and the Karen's gone wild and these Instagram posts that are just feeding us just like constant trauma against black bodies, people being white, people being racist against black people. Like, I can't take it. I can't watch all these videos. It's too much. It's too Nor much. Nor you. It's, it's, I mean, I think about. But I feel like a bad black person if one passes by and why? I don't because see we, it. Because, because, we, because we are actively trying to protect our mental health. Because we are actively trying to figure out how we continue to exist and live in an environment that is literally filled with people trying to kill us. Right. That it is okay if we don't take in every bit of injustice, every bit of trauma so that we cease to actually be able to live. Right. My blackness is not defined by how many black traumatic incidents I can roll off of my tongue. There are many, but that's not how my blackness is defined. It's not. I feel why do I feel guilty for not watching one? I feel I like think I it's should because know you, why, what's why do you going feel on. I feel like I should be supportive and at least being aware of when this new name comes up. I know what happened, but I don't, I, I've seen so many. I have maybe, just like you, just like a lot of the people listening, I have maybe 25 I could call up in my short-term yep. memory. Like I say names and you, yep, I see that. I see that killing right. Like, my God, that's a lot. And just think, about like here's the thing why do we feel guilty because we know that their deaths are being erased which means that their humanity is being erased and for us i think that many people feel that they must consume it they must see it as a way to keep that person like to, to keep their memory alive right that like we can't fight unless we know and that they are they are worth the knowing. But you can know without the consumption of the actual videos. You can read the articles. You can, do you know what I'm saying? But you do not have to watch their killings I mean, as a way to say that we are honoring them. You honor them by living, by fighting, right? I, I mean, in a way, they are so similar, each video, that I don't, I, I, I don't, I can't have to watch every single one. I've seen this movie before. When I was a kid, back when there was something called Blockbuster Video, where you went and you got videos, the VHS I, tapes. I love Blockbuster. I used to walk up and down the aisles. I used to run into people. It was they a used real to ha- place. They used to have this, this, this series called Faces of Death. They might have done 15 or 20 different faces of death, which it was not racialized. It was just... Images of death, somebody who got killed, electric chair, accident, video footage of people near death and then dying all sort of run together, especially for like young boys. This would be like exciting to watch. I never really wanted to watch it, but my friends would be like, yo, let's get faces of death. And every once in a while we would get it. It's like that, but it's just black people. You know, mm. and we have this mm. inside of us. And I think it is corrosive to our soul to have so many of these sitting inside of us all the time. Mm-hmm. 
it's generational trauma that I, I really hope that at some point we're able to break, but the purpose is to break us. And that's why I tell people all the time on my other show, uh, about, Britney said it, it was Britney. Exactly. Um, about self-care. I think that it's so important for black people. I think that black joy is so fucking important because everywhere you look, they are telling us that we don't matter. Our lives don't matter. Like nothing that we can do. You can't sit in your house. You can't sit in a car. You can't walk down the street. You can't read a book. You can't go shopping. You can't go to the movie. You can do absolutely nothing while being black and think that you are safe. We are so at war right now that taking that moment of self-care can feel like you're letting people down, like you're not, you know, doing your part for the mission and the movement. Self-care is important and you should not feel guilty for doing yoga or watching a movie that has nothing to do with the struggle. It, it, It just... Just loving yourself and just mm-hmm. calming your nerves. Because you can't just be fighting 24 hours a day. You need a moment to pull back. Um, it's interesting because I watch Legendary on HBO Max, which I love, which is just like all joy and performance and just like fun. And then I also watch Pose, which is fun but especially this season, so much about the struggle of being black yeah. and trans and the police. And they got into this last season, too, with the AIDS crisis. But, like, it, it has gone from performance to, like, so much about, like, the struggle and the political nature of these families and saving each other. Even this season, uh, one of them is getting married and they're giving her this dream white wedding because... Nobody in the community ever gets to see themselves in that way. And they're like, we have to make you the first one to have the white wedding with the the veil and all the things. And and it's beautiful and it's uplifting, but it's also like, you know, the fight never ends. Like even in like getting married, this is still part of the fight. And she goes, I don't know if you watch, she goes to a bridal store and they spend half the day finding the dress, she finds the perfect dress, and then the owner of the bridal store comes through and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You are trans. You're disgusting. Get out of here. You cannot have this dress no matter how much you're willing to pay. And it's like just the fight never ends. It never ends, which is why it's important to take time. Like why it's important to rest, why it's important to recharge, why that is not selfish, why our foremothers and forefathers told us you know, that rest is a part of the revolution. Like why places, you know, like, you know, Chicken Bone Beach and Martha's Vineyard and all of these places were created, right, as respites because we don't have them if you are Black and live in America. There is no fucking respite for you. So you must create it for yourself, right? Like you must be your own oasis. What's that? It's in uh, an Atlantic City, I believe. Um, I had interviewed an artist uh, who did a whole expose around uh, around it. And again, for Black people, right? Like Black beach towns and ownership and all of these things. Why? Like in the height of everything, lynchings, all of this, 
because motherfucking need to swim, you know, need some fucking sun. You know, the first time I went to the inkwell, and oh. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it's so small. That's it? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was like, it's they really like it that well. big. They, didn't, I mean, they didn't say it was like the ink, you know. The, right? Like if you went down there with 10 people, it would be crowded. Like, that's, that's, it, that's it? We drove past it. I'm like, that's, that's it? Like that? That's it? Just that. That little... See? Oh my God. That's why rest is important. Thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we'll be back next week. After a restful holiday weekend, folks. Take one. (laughs) Take one. Pray about it. Pray about it. Hang on. I don't know. Light a candle. It's the lunar eclipse. (laughs) Do something.